Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Ryan McGuire. This is a podcast I created to help all of us on this journey we call life. There's a lot that life throws our way, whether good or bad, and there are so many things we just don't understand. So I sit down with people from all over the world with different backgrounds, different talents, different knowledge, and great advice to help all of us understand life just a little better and apply these tools to our lives to help make us better and happier people. And on this episode, I was happy to have been accompanied by Andrea Cowan-Hoen, all the way from Medellin, Colombia. Andrea is a healing mentor and well on her way to becoming a psychedelic therapist. I was intrigued by Andrea and her story after seeing an Instagram post where she posted about a breakthrough after taking ayahuasca. Now for any of you that doesn't know what ayahuasca is, it is seen as a medicine from the Amazon administered by a shaman. And people come from all over the world to countries such as Colombia, Costa Rica, Peru to experience ayahuasca and the gateways it is said to have opened to the afterlife and seeing your future, the spirit world. It's a pretty intense experience from everything I've heard and Andrea goes into that, but there is so much more to her story than just her taking ayahuasca. She gets very vulnerable in this episode as she talks about losing her mother at an early age to cancer and how that pretty much put her life into a tailspin and how she was in a really dark place and just didn't know how to get out of it. That ended up with her moving to Colombia to meet with a friend and then months later she got into ayahuasca and other psychedelics and learning how that can help heal the mind and mental illness and trauma. Now this is something I don't have a lot of experience with so Andrea did a great job being the coach and teacher she is for me and for all of our listeners that are somewhat unaware of what these psychedelics have to offer. Now, I had heard stories about what psychedelics can do for people, but I didn't really know the detail. And Andrew did a great job of teaching me throughout this entire episode of the variety of ways that psychedelics can help us. And she does a great job of helping lift the stigma of what psychedelics are here in North America. Andrea sees this as a really good alternative to you know, taking a pill every day for depression or anxiety and all the issues that can come with that. She sees this as the future of healing mental health because she explains how it actually helps us heal the problem, not just mask it. And not only that, she will be returning to her native country of Canada in the very new future and opening up her own practice as being a psychedelic therapist. How awesome is that? 
she took such a heartbreaking and traumatic experience, such as losing her mother, and turning it into a positive with opening up her own practice and now helping others who have had traumatic experiences and issues with mental health. I know it was a long road for Andrea and it's a battle she still fights on a daily basis, but she's super inspirational and coming such a long way in such a short time at such a young age as well. As I mentioned before, I learned so much in this episode and Andrea, thank you for being so vulnerable and personal with your story. I know this episode will educate so many people and connect with others who are experiencing mental health issues. And she does a great job explaining the positive power of psychedelics when looked at from a different angle than we do here in North America. So Andrea, thank you. And without further ado, here's Andrea Cowan-Hoen. So on this podcast, I am the student and we have a teacher here because it's a subject matter I'm very curious about, but I don't really know much about. Uh, so today I am joined by Andrea Cowan-Hoen. Did I get that right? Yeah, you killed it. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, so Andrea, correct me if I'm wrong, you're joining us from, is it Medellin, Colombia? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Medellin, Colombia right now. Yeah, Medellin, Colombia. All right, I know how to pronounce that from, what was the... Um, Obviously, it's it's on Narcos, um, <laughs> on Netflix, um, and trying to think Entourage as well, uh, the HBO oh, right. series Entourage. But um, right. you're joining us from a lovely coffee shop. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about psychedelics and mushrooms and trauma and healing. This is going to be mind blowing, no pun intended. Um, you're going to open my eyes with this one. So thank you very much for for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm excited to be here with you. So this is a topic. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a hot button topic here in like America. I, I feel like we view psychedelics as something completely different than how a, a nation like Colombia sees it and, you know, South America in general. Um but first and foremost, let's hear about you. So you were born and raised in Canada, right? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised in Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Manitoba. Okay. Yes. Canada is yeah. a beautiful place. It's a very beautiful place. Did you enjoy it living there or did you want to get out? Uh, to an extent, yeah, of course. Like my my family and my friends are there. It was very familiar to me. And that's like what I knew yeah. growing up. Um but I, I definitely wanted to spread my wigs. Yeah. So how did you end up in Colombia all the way from Canada? Yeah. So basically how I ended up in Colombia was kind of my own attempt at saving myself. As I said, I was previously living in Winnipeg, which is where I grew up. And I was just like not in a good place mentally, physically or spiritually. Uh, my mom had been battling stage four cancer for about two years and I had moved back home to be closer with her. And during that time, I really put my life on hold because every moment just kind of felt like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And when she passed away in November of 2018, I had no idea what to do with myself. 
Like I, I knew it was coming, but I refused to believe that that was my reality. Yeah. I was, yeah, so I was 25 years old at the time. I mean, I wasn't ready to lose my mom, you know, like that's the closest relationship I had in my life at the time. Um, so I just really didn't know what to do. I kind of just immediately threw myself back into work and going to the gym, but I was completely numb. I was working in hospitality at the time, serving tables, uh, and I had like very easy access to alcohol and would just find myself drinking every day, basically on shift, after shift, whenever I could. Um, I fell asleep in my place of work more than once, like passed out after hours and spent the night in a booth. In that industry, pretty much everyone is an alcoholic. So no one really thought it was like abnormal behavior. Mm. It would just like, they would take photos of me to like laugh about later. Um, and I was also starting to like abuse cannabis at the time uh, because I knew that if I smoked a certain kind of weed basically, it could just like completely knock me out for hours at a time. And that's what I wanted. I had a very difficult time staying in the present moment. Um, so yeah, I was basically just like on a downward spiral at that time. And I had like this little tiny voice in my head that was like, okay, Andrea, come on. Like, this isn't you, you're, you're better than this. Like you have so much more potential than what you're living right now. Like what the hell are you doing? Basically like mm. you need to get out of here. Um, how long so, did that continue? How long were you going down that bad path? Um, it, I would say it was like a few months of just getting really bad because my mom passed away in November. Um, and then I ended up leaving in February. Okay. So it was a few months. And then, yeah, I just, I knew that I had to physically remove myself from that situation, not just from the restaurant I was working in, but like the home I was living in, from the city, from the country, if I could. Mm -hmm. So I was actually looking at Thailand originally. Um, but I had one friend that was already living here in Colombia in Medellin. So okay. yeah, in February, 2019, I flew here on a one-way ticket thinking that I'd be gone for two, maybe three months. <laughs> and now it is February, 2021 and I am still here. So it's been just over two years. Well, happy three-year anniversary. Wow. <laughs> a one-way ticket. You feel like you hear like, movie stories come from that you know like uh, someone so bought a one-way ticket and yeah history wow yeah and I had a lot of people tell me that I was like kind of crazy I mean obviously coming from kind of like a sheltered life in Canada like people have a certain idea of what Columbia is mm -hmm. and uh you know like yeah, like you said, like, you know, it from Narcos. So people <laughs> kind of have have that image of like, it's just like this drug epicenter, and everyone's in a gang, and it's super dangerous. And like, why would anyone want to go there? So I had to deal with a lot of that uh, from like friends and family. Has your experience been the opposite? Because from what I hear, Medellin is beautiful. 
Yeah, it is really beautiful. Um, yeah, it is hard to find somewhere that is quiet for something like this. So <laughs> apologize to anyone who can hear background noise, but that is just part of living in a very bustling city. Did you just move there because of friends or did you see like somewhat of a future there to, to study? I know you study psychedelics and trauma and healing. Yeah, so that I actually didn't get into that until I was already here. Okay. Um, like after like nine months or so of being here, I think is when I, I really got into it because yeah, the first six months or so were just about travel and kind of like enjoying myself. And then I ended up finding a job and kind of, you know, settling into life here. And as soon as I settled into a routine, I felt that same sort of like numb emptiness start to like creep back in that I had been feeling back in Winnipeg. And then I realized that I hadn't actually done any healing around the actual cause of my pain. You just ran, you basically ran away from it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I had just kind of surrounded myself with pretty places and people as these temporary distractions, Mm -hmm. which like, I mean, wasn't necessarily unhealthy. I think most of us live a distraction-based existence, at least to some degree. For sure. But but what I had done, like what I had done is essentially attempt to completely bypass my grief. And it was like a rude awakening of realizing that healing wasn't something that would just happen on its own. You know, it's like, it's not like you get a scrape on your elbow and it will eventually scab and heal over. Your mind doesn't actually work in the same way. You have to be intentional about it. Otherwise we just end up exiling these parts of us that hurt we shove them down and that's when they end up manifesting later in life as like stress and illness. Yeah. I wanted to avoid that. And that's when I really like started being intentional with my healing. I get what you're saying about grief. I've learned a lot about grief over the last few months. Um, you know, uh, you've lost a mother, which is kind of uncomparable, but, um, you know, I lost, I've mentioned on my episodes quite a few times. Um, I lost my best friend, my dog Coda after 15 years, she was my best friend. And one day that was it. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like you, you see the end coming and you try to convince yourself you'll be okay. And mm-hmm. you're not. And mm-hmm. then it's like, how do you deal with grief? That to me was, I didn't know. I really didn't know. I've been fortunate enough throughout life, not having to deal with a ton of close loss to me. Um, and you try to prepare yourself for the day that's coming and you just really, you can't do it. Um, yeah. and everyone grieves different. So you ask questions and no one's really giving you a direct answer. There's a lot of people that deal with grief the way you do and there or the way you did, I should say. And now, and we are, recording this in the times of COVID, there is a ton of grief and issues going around the world. So I'm really interested to hear your story and kind of hear how you bounced out of that and how you got into the world of like mushrooms and psychedelics and how this helped you. Because here in America, I can say that I, I feel like we view that Uh, as a majority, as like a recreational drug, like, oh, don't do that. Um, So I'm really interested to get your perspective and your experiences with this um, to kind of open up my eyes as well as probably many, many others. I found you, as you know, 
um, because of your post on ayahuasca, which I really would love to talk about that. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but I do want to tell us, let's continue with your story. Um, as far as, you know, you said about six, seven, nine, eight, nine months into being in Colombia is when you started to turn your focus. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like I said, I, I was kind of going through this realization that I had just tried to bypass uh, these feelings of grief. I hadn't really actually dealt with anything. Um, it was just, you know, trying to hold the basketball underwater, like the longer that you hold it under, uh, the harder it comes back up to hit you in the face. Mm. Um, so I got hit in the face <laughs> and my friend, actually the one who was already living here had mentioned ayahuasca to me previously. Uh, but I was like very scared. I had like heard, you know, just the kind of horror stories, um, that like a very sheltered person would hear. And I just kind of had this idea in my mind that it was, um, very, very risky. Like I thought that most people who did it died. Like this is just this terrible idea that I had around it. Um, so, so just let's start right there. Cause there's probably people listening to this that don't know what ayahuasca is. What was your first inkling of like what ayahuasca was compared to kind of what it is to you now? Um, I just thought it was like this gross potion that people go to the Amazon to drink and they just like throw up uncontrollably uh for like days on end that's what i imagined that's what i imagined it to be is just like yeah like a, a potion essentially that makes you vomit and that mm -hmm. was kind of the, the extent that i knew about it and like when i was younger my mom actually she had heard this story of someone who had you know gone to the amazon to drink a similar drink and she told me this story of a girl who had died because she was just like uncontrollably throwing up. So that was like the idea that I had of it. And I was mm. like, Oh my God, I'm so scared of doing that. Like I'm, I'm just never going to touch it. So it took a lot uh, of kind of convincing from my friend for me to actually be like, okay, you know what, I'll have a look at this. And that's when I really started to do my own research and kind of, yeah, just started to learn more and more on my own. Like there is so much information available online. Um, so that's what I was doing. I was just reading about other people's experiences, about what the actual purpose is behind the medicine. Um, and it turns out it's actually not <laughs> nearly as risky as I imagined. You know, it's just these stories that get sensationalized uh, for like the kind of North American audience. Mm. Uh, but there are so many communities here where this is like their way of life. So yeah, I just kind of started to learn more about that. And the original pull for me was that I read that ayahuasca can help you connect with the spirit realm, like with people that have passed on. Uh, so reading that, I was very intrigued because, you know, I was missing my mom so much at this time that I wanted nothing more than to feel more connected to her. So that was actually the original, the original pull for me. Like the first time that I did ayahuasca was wanting to connect with my mom. I mean, I don't actually think that she has been present in any of my ceremonies. I mean, I've drank ayahuasca now 13 times. Oh, wow. 
and I wouldn't say that I have felt her energy there. I definitely have felt the presence of my ancestors, not in a specific way, but just like being surrounded by support, like a community of support. Dude, this is going to be mind blowing. Um, and one thing I, I picked up on that you said that I had heard before is you called it a medicine. Whereas mm. I feel like up here in like North America and the U S we call it a drug. And so right. I feel like that perspective already is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when was the first time you, you took this? Um, I believe it was November of 2019. Okay. So about a year, about a year after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. And so tell me about the experience. Like, where did you go and like the ceremonies behind it and everything? Actually, the first time that I did ayahuasca, I did not really feel anything. Wow. Which is kind of like, they don't really tell you that going into it, that that is very, very common. Hmm. Uh, Because, you know, you kind of go into it with these expectations of like, wow, my world is going to be absolutely rocked. Like, And sometimes that just doesn't happen. Like sometimes the medicine needs time to like settle into your system Mm. and kind of unlock some things. So that's essentially what happened to me my first time. I took three cups, the first ceremony, which is like quite a bit. (laughs) I think the ceremony since then, I usually only have one. So there's a shaman there and everything. Yeah, yeah, of course. So this was in Guarne, which is um, about an hour from Medellin. Okay. So it was like up in the mountains. It was like freezing cold. Like we were all in this little tiny wood cabin, uh, like just covering ourselves in blankets and shivering. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so there's a shaman there or a taita is what they call them here in Colombia. So yeah, in Colombia, the tradition is a little bit different. Uh, They call the medicine yahe instead of ayahuasca. It's still very similar. So, you know, like it's a brew, it's a tea made with ayahuasca vine and with uh, shakruna, which is the DMT component. Um, But yeah, every tribe kind of has their own little way of, of mixing the medicine and like what other plants they add or like oh don't add. Yeah. I actually wrote that down Shakruna. So from my understanding, Shakruna, like you said, is the hallucinogenic and ayahuasca is almost like takes down your guard, like on the mm-hmm. inside, I guess, unless this psychedelic do its thing. Otherwise without the ayahuasca, nothing would happen. Yeah, exactly. So they work, they work together like that. That's super interesting. Do you know how long this has been around? Like what's the history behind this? Yeah, so there is evidence of 4,000 years of documented wow. ayahuasca ceremonies. Yeah, so and that's only documented, right? So who knows, like before that, how how much further it was going. So I would love to know how these things are found. Because it's like, like you said, like a vine and or like a plant in the Amazon, let alone they cook it right and then you mix yeah. it together with a different one it's like how who found that and how <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen yeah oh, well the, sh- the shamans would say that the plants spoke to them right like the, the plants told them what to do okay 
the first time, see, I know of, of ayahuasca mainly, honestly, because my sister did it. She's a very spiritual person and she wanted to, you know, kind of enhance that. And she went to Costa Rica and did it um, down there. And I know her experiences weren't that wonderful. So for anybody listening to this, you're, you're obviously more of an expert than I am on it, but from my understanding, you can get an absolutely terrible, terrible, terrifying experience. You can get one that's beautiful and just, you know, amazing and where they can combine together. And apparently you said possibly nothing. You went on this journey to make a connection with your mom, which makes sense from, from what I hear and what I see. A lot of people do that. They want to try to connect with their loved ones that have passed. If you don't mind me asking, what was your first experience that you were like, okay, this is, this is working. This is doing something. Um, <laughs> how many times was it your second time, third time? Like at what point was that? Yeah, it was my second and third time uh, where I, I realized like, okay, yeah, this is actually, this is actually something um, because it just had this ability to kind of take me out of my body in a way that I hadn't experienced before. I mean, you kind of have to yeah, give yourself the, the grace to surrender. Like that's a huge part of, of the experience is just being able to give into it fully. And I think that's when a lot of people have like really, really difficult times is when they're fighting and resisting the experience. Uh, because I could see myself being like that. I'm too much. Yeah. I like control of my life and to give in to a drug that's going to control me for a while is almost, it's a scary thought. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people have a difficult time with the idea of relinquishing control. Mm -hmm. And I think going back just a little bit to like the, the drug versus medicine thing, I think drugs have a positive experience. Like you wouldn't take a drug thinking like you're going to go through hell and back, but with a medicine, it's not always a pleasant experience. That's a good point. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And with ayahuasca, especially like it's, that's why it's, it's never going to be addictive because I mean, yeah, people are um, really facing their shadow in these experiences and transforming. Can you explain way. that? Like facing their shadow, like what that means to you and possibly dive into that a little deeper? Yeah. So, I mean, we all have a shadow side, whether or not we, we choose to look at it. And I think getting into this healing work, like a lot of people are under the misconception that it's kind of all like love and light. <laughs> Uh, like we all uh, want to be on this path towards wholeness. Uh, but what many people don't realize getting into it is it's going to be hard. It's going to be dark. Healing is about facing your darkness and kind of coming to terms with it. So there's nothing easy about the healing journey. And in terms of, yeah, facing your shadow, um, there. I mean, there's things that we bury so far down because it's like it scares us essentially and like things might pop up in our head and we're like oh that's bad like we shouldn't think that way or we shouldn't even have that in our head like kind of what's wrong with you 
for thinking that. So then we shove it down and that kind of becomes our shadow side. Mm. It's this like exiled parts of us that we have deemed like not socially acceptable. And then it just all comes, it's like, it's still a, a part of you. That's the thing. Like we think that we have successfully gotten rid of it but it is still driving a lot of our behavior. It's always there with us. Mm. And then it comes up in these ceremonies and uh, a lot of people like can't handle facing that side of themselves and have the desire to like self-destruct. Like there's, there's lots of stories of people in ceremony who suddenly like want to kill themselves. Like I've heard stories of people that run out break a glass window and slit their own throat during ceremony because they've just been so overcome with this negative side of themselves that they just like don't want to live anymore. So it is a very, very powerful, potent substance. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's really nothing to be like messing around with. <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, I know this is a super personal story. Like, what about some of your shadow sides? Like, did you deal with them? How did they come up? What did they look like? Because I, I, like I said, I'm not super familiar with the world of psychedelics. What does that look like to you? Yeah. So for for myself, I had one experience with with ayahuasca where I felt like a demon was taking over my body like entirely like a female kind of sex crazy demon and I was just thought like I was taking a back seat like I was I was going into the sunken place <laughs> I can't think of what that movie is called right now out get out you know when they go into the, sun, the oh, sunken place I've, I've actually <laughs> never seen that movie but I've heard it's uh, really good I've heard it's really good <laughs> Okay, so basically people take over their bodies and when the people take over their bodies, they go into the sunken place. So I was going into the sunken place and this female demon was taking over from here on out. And it genuinely felt like I was never going to be myself, like as I knew myself anymore, like I was over and she was taking over. Um, and she just like had no patience like I said, she was like very sexually driven, uh, very just like didn't care about my feelings, uh, very rude. It was really terrifying, to be honest. I, I was very scared. But it was a process of realizing that this demon or how I, how I saw it is actually always a part of me in a sense. Like she's always there, but I just, I never give her any of like the driving space because I, I've like just shoved her down basically. Like I, because I don't think that she's acceptable. And I mean, she it, like isn't really for her, like everyday life, but then she had come back with a vengeance and felt like it was going to take over my whole being. So it was trying to like learn harmoniously how to live with this kind of inner demon and it's not always like so visual like that like with an inner demon <laughs> um there have been other times where I've done shadow work and it's 
really just like about reflecting on, you know, like on the idea of self-love, for example, and thinking about my mom and then thinking about like how she struggled so much with her self-love and like what role I played in that, like how I was never, I, I didn't lift her up, you know, if anything, I was like very hard on her. So coming to terms with like the role that I played in the lack of her self-love and that that was like (laughs) it was extremely hard for me to face that like no one wants to look at the shitty things that they've done or like think of themselves as a shitty person Uh, but sometimes you have to like recognize the the negative parts or the negative things that you have done or the pain that you've caused not in the sense that you should feel guilty about that because it's in the past, you can't change it. There's no sense in carrying guilt. Uh, that's never a positive thing to do. But just being able to learn from it and so that I can move forward and lift other women up, knowing how much we struggle with self-love. Like I needed to reflect on that, on the role that I played in that relationship so that now I can look at my relationships with other women and like boost them up. This is so interesting. Um, what form <laughs> does that take? Like when you're having like self-reflection about self-love and how tough and you were with your mom, like what does that even look like when you're under, you know, uh, ayahuasca? Like, do you see yourself talking to her? Like, what does that even, I can't visualize that. I think it really depends. Like sometimes there is visualization, uh, but sometimes there's not. Like, sometimes I'm just in nature and I'm just feeling into the experience, like trying my best to get into a meditative state. So just, yeah, really connecting with my breath, uh, connecting with myself. And I'm always writing a lot, like journaling. I always have a journal nearby uh, because I feel like I express myself best through writing. Um, so. Does just a random curiosity, this, this demon that you brought up, did it have a face? Did it look like something to you or was it just like, you just knew it was what it was? Yeah. Like I, I could see her. It was a female, but she took multiple forms. So like she was a snake going through my arms and my legs, but she was also just like, you know, the image of like the quintessential little like devil that you'd see with like little horns Mm. and a tail. Here's a random question. Do you feel like that is really what she looks like? Or do you feel like your past experiences with like movies and reading books kind of plays into what your mind thinks it should look like? Well, I mean, the thing is she like, she doesn't look like anything Mm. I mean she is a a figment of my imagination she's just a part of me Mm. and that is what my mind has uh you know said that she looks like okay like it all goes down in the mind yeah so it's not like she's actually like a separate entity that has come like I have created her she is part of me okay yeah because I'm I'm really interested in this stuff and Um, I know everyone has like different experiences and that obviously there's like the paranormal and what people believe in and people, like you said, take ayahuasca to connect with, you know, loved ones and friends and family. I want to know how aware are you 
under when when it starts to take a hold of you are you aware of what's going on or you're just you're gone you don't even know oh that's a good question um I think for the most part I'm usually pretty aware I mean once you once you take the medicine like once you drink it you have like about an hour of just you know trying not to vomit (laughs) (laughs) and like holding it in and just kind of waiting and that waiting is always the hardest part because yeah, A, you're very nauseous because it tastes awful and B, you just, you have no idea kind of what you're getting yourself into and mm-hmm. uh, you don't know what you're waiting for. You, you know, you just yeah. kind of are like, okay, am I feeling it now? No, but you, you know, like when it takes hold, like, I mean, it's different for everybody, but for myself, I usually go through the purge first and then I'm kind of traveling for the next couple hours. Uh, Some people don't purge for like much later in the evening or some people don't actually physically throw up at all. Um, I've had it before where I just like will shake uncontrollably and that's like, you know, another way of releasing the purge is just by shaking or crying like it doesn't have to be by throwing up that's just kind of like how most people see it now to set the scene is it almost kind of like there's like cots and with buckets next to it and you take it and you lay down or what's what does that look like yeah so it's mostly like mattresses on the ground or like yoga mats Um, usually people bring whatever they're most comfortable with so like yeah like a yoga mat or um an air mattress and then yeah everybody has their own buckets yeah that's pretty much it do you kind of hear other people like vomiting and just like uh (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah. absolutely i mean you're like right beside each other usually in pretty close quarters Mm -hmm. and i mean some people are more violent in their release than others more aggressive yeah i mean it's all just part of the experience really I mean, you can kind of go off on your own if that bothers you. Like, you can go out and, like, sit by the fire or um, just, like, kind of move away from the group. But uh, the, the idea is not to go off too far, right? So. Right. And the Instagram post that I found that you posted, which is how we connected, was the fact that you said you had a breakthrough. And mm-hmm. you said words can't describe it. I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to ask for words to describe that. I would love to know the, what breakthrough you were talking about and if you could go into detail about that. So in my last experience, I had done a five-day retreat recently. Uh, so that was like four ayahuasca ceremonies in a row, essentially. And on the final one, it was actually really terrifying because I felt like my heart wasn't getting enough air. And I was struggling to breathe. And even though I knew that it was probably the medicine, I was, I was freaking out. <laughs> and my body went into like full survival mode. Uh, and I was able to see like what really happens to your mind, to your body when you think that you're close to dying. And because I was like, I was there like on all fours, like thinking like this was it for me. I just became so acutely aware of like how fragile we actually are as human beings and like how easy it is to just like lose it. 
like lose our life, like lose our time here in this realm. And it just became like pure animal instincts where it was like nothing else mattered other than staying alive. And it was really scary. I, I know I said that before, but it, yeah, it was, I was scared just to yeah come to know that part of myself that was just like pure instincts where like I didn't care about anything else other than staying alive and it, it brought me to the cusp of that and then like <laughs> eventually allowed me to calm down but when I was like taking some deep breaths after that I felt like something in my brain had changed like I felt a physical switch in my brain that hadn't been there before and it felt like like so, like something related to my animal side like I mean as humans uh, like we are still animals right and it was just like really connecting with that you know it, like during that time like I had thought like I was gonna die there like that was it for me and I was like well I'm alone and I'm gonna die and ayahuasca was just like well how dare you say that you're you know by yourself like you're surrounded by the spirits of the plants and it was kind of like realizing that I always have this unseen kind of community of support uh, even if I can't physically see it like our idea of of being separate and isolated is what causes most of our suffering yeah this is why this is why I asked you to be <laughs> to be on this <laughs> podcast this is like my, so my podcast as you know is called the pursuit of happiness and everyone has a different pursuit and I am literally learning yours as we talk. Um, mm. We all have hurdles to climb and you obviously had a big one. And this is a path that I'm not familiar with. How have you acted different since that experience um, of being close to death? This has been really challenging for me to try and integrate because it's just so far from like, the actual life that I lead on a day-to-day basis, you know? Mm. So trying to incorporate these animal instincts into my everyday life, like to me, what, what does that mean? So it just means, you know, like if I'm hungry, I don't need to like sit there and think about whether or not I'm hungry and like, you know, scroll through 20 different options of what to eat on like the food ordering system. It's just like, if you're hungry, you eat and like that's kind of how I'm trying to look at it it's like Mm. an animal an animal doesn't like stop to think they just act Mm. and I I was thinking about like you know come becoming like apex Andrea like the apex version of myself where because I struggle with overthinking a lot and I think that would actually be super transformative for me is um to yeah, I actually get rid of all of the excess thinking that I do and spending more time actually acting, which is, I mean, what I gathered of the meaning of like connecting with your animal instincts is like mm-hmm. getting out of that overthinking brain and just acting on what you want in the moment. How would you say that's been going for you? And how long have you been doing that? Well, um, this ceremony was very recently like it was at the end of January okay so it's just a few weeks yeah it's it's still very new to me and as you know I've been like really sick for the past week 
Yeah. So I definitely have not been Apex Andrea in the last Understandable. Yeah, no, she she hasn't come out. But um, Oh, I'm interested. We like to follow up and kind of see because there's a lot of people that have that same issue, probably over analytical. I can certainly get that way in times. It kind of gets in your way instead of just acting and doing. You overthink it. Um, mm-hmm. paralysis by analysis and yeah, you know, not absolutely. doing things you want to do and you look back and have regrets because you just overthought everything. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I can see that being a really huge positive in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested to see how that works for you. Um, going back to like the ayahuasca and experiences, do you have any thoughts or more vivid thoughts about the afterlife in general now, or are you still kind of questioning it as much as you did before? Yeah, I mean, I don't think my my views have changed too much. I, I definitely believe in multiple lives. I think that we are all here to learn different lessons with each life. And in order to learn those lessons, we can't know ahead of time what exactly it is we're here for otherwise the lessons wouldn't be as potent if I knew that I was gonna lose my mom or whatever other hard lesson it it wouldn't have taught me in the exact same way so yeah I I do think that we are living multiple lives like maybe we do get a little bit of a choice depending on like our soul's um, experience and what lessons we still need to learn I believe that we are on like this never ending journey of going through life in that sense. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the afterlife, who knows? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, well, cause I know you had mentioned earlier, like you had like a connection with like ancestors. What yeah. did that, what did that look like? How would you know? Like, tell me more about that. It's, it was basically just feeling a presence. Like, so I had a visual of seeing like multiple people kind of come walking towards me. And it's not that I can see like their faces exactly, but just like the figures and like feeling a supportive presence Mm. and then having them stand behind me, sometimes with their hand on my shoulder and just being there. And I can only imagine that that is my ancestors. I mean, who else would would it be that's coming to these ayahuasca experiences to show me support and to stand with me through these hard times so yeah it's literally like I can see I can see people and feel their presence beside me was that an experience that you didn't want to wake up from have you ever had any of those maybe not with ayahuasca but with mushrooms there have been experiences where I never wanted to end where it's just like such immense joy and love for myself just like playing and laughing and happy tears where it's like I just I want to feel this way forever now when we were chatting the last week or so I know you brought up that you did want to talk about mushrooms and how they have helped you and you just brought it up so let's go (laughs) ahead let's dive into this let's let's talk more about what you wanted to to tell me and others about mushrooms it's funny because I wasn't as scared of ayahuasca as I was of mushrooms because of a really bad experience I'd had with them in like my early 20s 
at a party, you know, someone gave me a random dose. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it was just so much paranoia. And yeah, it was one of the worst experiences of my life for sure. So you were just taking it as more of a recreational thing. Back yeah. Then. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause I do want to remind like, cause you are now focused on more of like the trauma and the healing aspects. So your mindset yeah. completely changed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, this was like, I, I think I was maybe 19 or 20 and yeah, just at, at a party as one does at, at that age, just mm-hmm. being irresponsible. So because of that experience, when someone told me that uh, mushrooms sounded like what I was looking for, like I was explaining my experience with ayahuasca to them. Okay. And they said, well, actually, you know, mushrooms are really like a heart opener. So maybe what you are looking for, you would more so find by taking some mushrooms. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like mushrooms over ayahuasca? Because ayahuasca had was just like the, this pinnacle in my mind of like the most powerful, the most beneficial mm-hmm. sort of substance to take. So yeah, from that point, I was just like, well, you know what? Okay. And I, I did some reading figured out who Terrence McKenna is. I don't know if you're familiar with Terrence McKenna. Teach me. Like I said, I'm I'm the student. Teach me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he, he's not alive anymore, but he was very much an advocate for mushrooms and for taking large heroic doses. So heroic dose is basically five grams of mushrooms. And so he would say, you know, like take a heroic dose by yourself in a small dark room and that will like change your life. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that first time I took them, I actually took them with a friend because I really wasn't sure what I was getting into. So at this point where you've already taken ayahuasca a few times, yeah. are you still struggling with finding yourself after your mother's passing or are you just looking to experience more? What's the thought behind this? Um, yeah, I mean, I had taken ayahuasca a couple of times and I definitely felt like I was still missing something I mean one of my teachers she's taken ayahuasca like over a thousand times and she still talks about having so much shadow work to do so it's really not about like taking it once and you know like your work is done like it's it's a lifelong journey that we're all kind of partaking on when it comes to healing uh yeah so I guess going into it I just knew that I was still struggling just like really tuning into my own emotions because I knew that I had like I told you, I tried to bypass my grief. Like I, I just wasn't okay with like connecting in that way. So I wanted to, yeah, just connect with myself a little bit more deeply. And mushrooms definitely helped me do that. I think the first time I took them, I just cried for like hours, uncontrollably crying. And it felt amazing. It was like such a needed release. Yeah. And it, I just felt beautiful like I didn't have any visuals or anything like that it was it was really just a release since then yeah my mushroom experiences have taught me so much about self-love and yeah just actually what it means to love myself and like I had realized that I was actually living like quite a shallow person and that was hard to come to terms with, you know, like I had been really into fitness and, you know, tying up all of my self-worth in what my body looked like or what men thought of me or just like what people thought of me in general. Like that was my whole worth. 
and then trying to <laughs> unravel that and create this new sense of self-worth mm. that is just like entirely from source, like from my own essence rather than um, the input of what other people are thinking or saying about me. Yeah, this is obviously, I think this is where you're going to connect with people a lot too, because this is something that many, many, many millions of people deal with. And it's honestly, I imagine it's 10 times worse now with social media and Instagram and stuff like that. Everyone comparing their lives to other people and trying to get their likes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, can I, can I reach a hundred likes today on this? And they, they keep an eye on it. It all matters what other people think of them. Yeah, um, exactly. And I mean, it's not to say that I don't still struggle with that. Like, of course, it's so easy to get caught up in those sorts of vanity metrics with the, with the Instagram. And But that's, a, that's the thing. Like, it's not just because you have this one eye-opening experience. Like, it's still work. Like, mm -hmm. it's still a process that you have to keep going through okay. every day. And, like, you make the choice now that you know better, like you make the choice, you are active in it. That's the thing, like it, these substances are amazing, but they're not like a magic cure. Like it's not like a fix all where they just suddenly everything's all good now and you're never going to struggle with this thing again. Like, no, of course I am still going to struggle with self-worth issues, but now I have the tools to navigate those situations okay. and like come out of it rather than being so consumed like I was before like with anxiety or falling into states of depression like now I know that it's just like a temporary situation rather than let it take over do you feel like you've come a long way I know you, you say there's a lot of work to do um but I'm I'm thinking of the people that are listening to this that are really struggling with depression or anxiety or mental health issues do you feel like you're still scraping the bottom or you're climbing back up? You feel like you've come a long way with still some ways to go. I have definitely come a really long way. And even just talking to my friends here that, you know, met me when I first arrived and they are like in disbelief at how far I've come just in the last couple of years. Mm. It is a, a big difference. I mean, you know, before I would get into states of depression where i yeah, I just didn't leave my bed for like days on end and I had no issue with that. And I just, I didn't feel like I was in control at all of like my own life or my emotions and everything was just happening to me and woe is me. And I had, yeah, a lot of, of issues with that, like a lack of empowerment. I feel like that's been the biggest thing for me is realizing how much control I actually do have in my own life. Now, here's a question I'm, I'm hoping you can answer because I read your blog that you posted a few months back is if you weren't taking ayahuasca and mushrooms, what would kind of be the equivalent of that in let's say Western medicine? Like what would the doctors be pushing on you? What would they be trying to get you to take? Cause I'm, I am a believer in more of a holistic type of medicine to, you know, get you to feel better and, and whatnot. And obviously here in America and maybe Canada is the same. It's the big pharma companies. It's the pills they want you to take. Um, mm -hmm. God knows what else is doing to your body. But like I said, going back to, like, I guess my original question is like, what would be the equivalent if, if you were still here, if you were in Canada and or America, what would have the doctors have been prescribing to you? 
I mean, the doctors would probably prescribe me SSRIs, like antidepressants, Mm -hmm. which I mean, are so, so prevalent today. Like I would say majority of people are on SSRIs, but actually you cannot like partake in ayahuasca ceremonies if you're on SSRIs. And when it comes to mushrooms, uh, basically, if you take mushrooms while you're on SSRIs, you won't feel anything uh, because it's like blocking that serotonin receptor. Do you have experience taking SSRIs or you, did you just bypass that altogether and you went right for the, <laughs> right, well, right for the plants? <laughs> actually, I like when I was younger, I, I was trying to figure out a solution. I was seeing a regular therapist back in Canada and I did talk to my doctor about, you know, my, my struggles with anxiety and depression and she prescribed me some form of SSRI, but I don't know when it came time to actually like go to the pharmacy. Like I had the prescription in my hand, but I was just like, no, something in me was just like, no, I, yeah. I don't want to become reliant on this. And I think it's also because I've, you know, I've seen wh- what, it, what these sorts of medications can do to people, like mm-hmm. just like becoming numb. I just really didn't want that. You know, I was like, well, I'd rather feel like shit than feel nothing at all. Yeah. I've been familiar so. with people that I know that have actually felt that way. However, what's opening my mind is, is probably opening some other people's minds right now is not realizing there is even another way. And obviously I'm assuming ayahuasca and mushrooms is not for everybody, but you're educating myself on on an alternative, which seems, I don't know, probably slightly better than taking a pill every day that just numbs you to life and doesn't Mm -hmm. allow you to experience things. Yeah. And I mean, there are people who get benefits from SSRIs, of course, I'm not trying to like bash them completely, but there are also so many who don't. Mm. And like for those people, we need to have better solutions. And, you know, it makes me really happy that the the tides are changing at a very rapid rate. Um, I know like mainstream might not seem like it yet, but I mean, MAPS, like Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, uh, they're doing so much in terms of moving psychedelics as medicine forward. Uh, right now, they're in clinical trials phase three for getting MDMA approved as a treatment for PTSD and depression. And I mean, there are already like ketamine clinics available for people to utilize. That's like in Canada and the U.S. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Ketamine right now is like, if people say they're doing psychedelic therapy, like that's the main um, substance that's being used because it is legal right now. Uh, But like the tides are changing. Like psilocybin is um, being decriminalized in so many places. Mm -hmm. And I really think like this is the next wellness boom, essentially. Like, I mean, you've already got tons of money hungry players entering the game, like Compass Pathways. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're like a large pharmaceutical company, I guess, that is uh, patenting like the basics of psilocybin therapy. Like they're trying to patent using 
uh, soft furniture and oh, wow. holding and holding hands and having a good sound system in the room. Like these are the kind of things that are happening because people see the potential of psychedelics and everybody wants their piece of the pie. Right. See, this is all this I'm learning so much today. Um, so basically kind of like generalizing what I'm getting at is like psychedelics really, obviously besides using them for recreational abuse and whatever like really has helped you and many others like look internally and see things from a different perspective and you know kind of helps you fix your own self on the insides am i right yeah absolutely i mean what pharmaceuticals do is they just kind of suppress mm -hmm. and they numb but they don't actually fix anything they don't like fix they're not actually healing you. Mm -hmm. Whereas what psychedelics do is they give you the potential to actually heal yourself by, by looking at these, yeah, like disowned parts of yourself. Like that's really what we need right now is we need to be focusing on doing this trauma work and uh, psychedelics are, are an amazing tool for, for accessing that part of our consciousness. I feel like we also need to do a lot of work on awareness um, because you know, I only know what I know from like on mainstream media and all that stuff about psychedelics that are like outlawed. And whereas what you just told me throughout this last hour or so has been completely different than that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for lack of a better term for maybe somebody who you would recommend at least looking into ayahuasca and or mushrooms? Like if, if they're wanting to experiment or just like to learn more about it? To learn, like if they're in a rough place, um, maybe like I know, like I said, I'm sure it's not for everybody, um, but maybe they're like at their you know, last wits about what they're taking about in life. And is there mm -hmm. anybody, yeah, I'm just, is there anybody that you can advise to be like, you know, you should take a look at this. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like there, there's so many podcasts that have um, like so much really useful information. Uh, even like someone like Tim Ferriss, who is a very main, very mainstream, but mm -hmm. he uh, talks a lot about psychedelics and the work with maps. He's actually been a huge donor. I think he's donated like a million dollars or something like that wow. um, towards these clinical trials. Maybe I'll keep talking, talking about psychedelics and I'll be able to donate a million dollars. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, so yeah, he has a lot of really, really good podcast episodes that touch on psychedelics mm -hmm. um, as well as there's one that I've been listening to. I think it's just called the plant medicine podcast and okay. just like, yeah, forming some sort of community is really where it's at. Um, like for me, just kind of following new accounts on Instagram and like attending a free events. Like there's so many little like webinars, like there's this one page called uh, Delic or Meet Delic that puts on free webinars all the time uh, that are, you know, about ketamine or about how to run like a psychedelic business. And I've met so many people in the chat in these like free webinars and really expanded my network in that way. Um, Cause I think if you're going to get into 
this sort of plant medicine life, it's so critical to have a community because yeah, like sometimes your friends and family will think that you're insane or they just won't, won't get it or they will be not approving. So yeah, it's really, really important to find people that you can connect with about this. And there are so many um, like psychedelic preparation and integration guides that are popping up now. It's like a pretty popular career, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so that's also an option. Like if you, for anyone thinking about kind of getting going on this journey is to talk to someone who is uh, someone that can coach you through the experience. Now you said community, which I, I feel like a lot of people are lacking right now with COVID and a lot of people staying indoors, not seeing their family, not seeing their friends forever. I think a lot of people are really wanting community at the moment. Uh, so I'm curious a while, a while back in this podcast, you had mentioned, it's not like your day-to-day life. So what is your day-to-day life normally like, and what are you striving to do here in the near future with your work on trauma and healing? So right now I am basically taking like a ton of different online courses. I'm just trying to immerse myself in the knowledge like as much as I can. Uh, so for trauma, my main thing right now is I'm, I'm taking Compassionate Inquiry, which is Gabor Mate's therapeutic approach to working with trauma. So Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, is basically what the catalyst for my whole healing journey when I read that was when I realized that actually stress and childhood trauma is what causes uh, these illnesses later in life. And I was just like, you know, mind, mind exploding. Yeah. I really look up to him. And so this is a one year program of learning his therapeutic approach. And then in June, I'm actually going to be moving back to Canada so that I can uh, certify as like a psychedelic uh, somatic therapist with the Psychedelic Somatic Institute. Yeah, in my day-to-day life right now, I'm, I'm just doing so much learning. <laughs> mm. uh, lots of reading books yeah, about trauma and about internal family systems, which is another therapeutic approach uh, that I find really intriguing and works really well with psychedelics as well. Good for you. Like, I'm just thinking of your entire story and how you're going back to where you came from, armed with all this knowledge, these experiences, and now you're going to help others doing that. That's yeah, like, bravo. Like, that's, (laughs) that's like, it took you, it was a long journey. And I'm sure you had a lot of terrible down moments, but you turned it into what seems like it's going to be a major positive. And you're going to help so many other people do that. Like, that's, that's yeah. freaking awesome. I mean, that's the goal. Like I said, like once I really dove deep with like the mushrooms and all of that, I was like, holy shit, like why is this not why do people not know about this? Like how how is this like such a well kept secret? Like yeah. if it can really solve like why is that? Okay. Do you yeah. have a theory on that? Why is that? Why do people not know, especially like here in America? Okay. So the like the Nixon administration in the early 1970s basically pushed forward a bill to make all the drugs illegal all everything a schedule one like that was the start of the war on drugs and i think it was because of all of these young people you know taking lsd mushrooms and you could see that they were kind of rebelling against uh, the norm 
Mm. Like they didn't want to enlist in the war anymore. They were, you know, just a little bit more like laid back, dropping out of school. Timothy Leary, who was a researcher also in the 70s around that time, had this thing where he said, tune in, drop out. And that was in regards to taking LSD. Mm. So there's, there's this idea of like just dropping out, like kind of dropping out of, yeah, how they want you to behave in like a capitalistic society. From my perspective, I would say uh, that that is the main reason that all of these substances were made illegal is because they didn't want people to be basically questioning the status quo. So, and I think they created a lot of the stigma and, you know, they said that people are going to jump out of six story windows and whatnot. And they made it seem like all these substances were really bad and they did a really good job. I mean, like (laughs) when I was a kid, I was like, Oh my God, I'm never going to touch drugs. Like anyone who touches drugs is like, such a, a loser, a low life. Did you have the dare program in Canada? I I don't know what that is, but dare. <laughs> they must have had some sort of program because, like you know, the like these police officers came and did a presentation at my school. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I yeah, like watching those videos, I was so scared of ever touching any of these substances because they really made it seem like you're gonna become an addict right away. You're gonna like die essentially because you're just gonna like lose all your teeth and Mm. you're not gonna have a job and you're gonna be homeless and that's really the the portrait that they paint of all of these substances and it's just not true yeah it sucks because it pushed us so far back in terms of legalization when like all these people could have been benefiting from it from a therapeutic perspective this whole time if the government hadn't made them illegal Fear, fear is a very, very powerful tool. And yeah. Yeah. They put a lot of fear in people like looking like marijuana now being legalized in so many places. And it's like, I haven't heard anything negative really come from that. <laughs> like, you know, that now they're making all their money off it too. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like growing up, it was like, Oh my God, marijuana. That's, ah, that's the worst thing ever. <laughs> now they're legalizing everywhere. It's like, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. They did a good job. They did a really good job. And that's why, I don't know, I hate using fear as a tactic. And I hate when people make me feel like that. Just educate me and let me make my decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why conversations like this, I think, are so awesome and so important. Because you're giving a completely different perspective that I know myself and so many people are just completely unaware of. Did not know mm-hmm. Did not know this was a side of psychedelics, you know? Like, Mm-hmm. I was aware of somewhat of ayahuasca, why people did it, but you just opened the door to like a different level of, of how this helps people and people with trauma. And, you know, you went through a very terrible, terrible experience in life. And, you know, you, you learned, you learned a lot from that. And, you know, there's a lot of people, that's what life is. You know, we all go through really hard times sometimes and we all deal with it differently. And mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for you to educating myself and all the listeners about a different way of dealing with it. If they so choose, it's, it's at least something for them to look into, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. of, like, the places where you can take ayahuasca, like obviously Colombia, I imagine Costa Rica, Peru, um, yeah. other countries. So, t- I mean, to be honest with you, the deeper I get into these sorts of communities, the more I realize that like you can find it anywhere. 
Like, oh, yeah. there's, there's ceremonies happening in LA, in oh, New wow. York, in Denver. Would you recommend that though? Or would you recommend the experience with like, is there shamans in those experiences as well? Or people are just doing it? So someone who I worked with, like as an educator, the one that I mentioned has uh, done ayahuasca over a thousand times. She trained in the Shipipo lineage, uh, which is like a minimum seven years basically before you can pour your first cup of ayahuasca. Okay. And it actually took her 10 years before she was able to pour. And so someone like that, she is extremely legit and well-trained and she lives in Denver. Okay. So it is possible to find uh, people that are legitimate wherever you are, but that's the thing is you have to like really do your research Mm -hmm. and ask questions because they're, because of the growing popularity, there are so many people now that are stepping up and thinking that because they've, you know, drank five or 10 times that they're fully equipped to pour the medicine. And that is just not the case. Um, I mean, obviously it takes a minimum seven years. That's like, um, that's like basically getting a doctorate. So that's basically like someone watching Grey's Anatomy and then thinking that they can perform open heart surgery. Right. Yeah. This is nothing to take lightly. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously not going to see and recommend anyone take it, but like, if, if you're looking into this, if you're going to do it, it's like, if you're going to, yeah, like you said, if you're going to get laser eye surgery, you want to go to a laser eye doctor, not like, not a mm-hmm. dentist, you know, like, yeah. oh man. I mean, yeah. this is, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the most powerful psychedelic on the planet. Is that true? Hmm. I, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely very powerful. I don't know if there's like an actual hierarchy. Of, of I watched like, an episode. I watched, do you ever watch Ex- Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates? I don't know if you've watched that, but I recently watched no. his episode where he did take ayahuasca and that's what he stated in the show. So I'm just repeating that. Josh Gates are awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's obviously, if you're going to look into it, nothing to take lightly. I can't honestly thank you enough. It was a very personal story. Uh, thank you for opening up my eyes with this. Um, is there any final advice you would give to anybody who's listening to this, going through a rough time, dealing with something very traumatic or, you know, dealing yeah. with or depression? Just that there are so many more options than we have been led to believe. Um, like it doesn't just end at, you know, pharmaceuticals and talk therapy. There are like an endless amount of tools. Like there's, there's body work, which, you know, like craniosacral therapy and acupuncture and even massage therapy can be immensely helpful. Like there's just so many different modalities that I had never heard of until I really like dove into this work. So yeah, I mean, for, for those that are really struggling with anxiety or depression and they're just not wanting to follow kind of the traditional set of therapy and pharmaceuticals, yeah, that's exactly the boat that I was in. And yeah, I just want to say that there are so many different options and I am happy to talk to anybody who has any specific questions of they want to slide in my DMs or, you know. <laughs> Well, let's talk about that. I was hoping you would say that. So let's tell the people where they can find you on social media and your website as well. Yeah. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is at ugly growth 
And that is also the name of my website, www.uglygrowth.com. And I'm, I'm going to start working with people one-on-one very soon in the next couple months, maybe weeks even, I'm not sure. Obviously I will be doing psychedelic therapy later this year, but I really just want to offer my services as, you know, a coach for people who are, you know, wanting to get started on their healing journey and just have no idea where to start. And I think that I can really help people kind of reconnect with themselves. So there's also something to be said for having a a doctor and or a coach with somebody who's been through the battle than Mm -hmm. just showing it to some random person's place. And, you know, they're living their lavish life, giving you a pill and walking away and going back home. Like, you know, you've, you've lived it. Um, I, I have an easier time taking advice from somebody who's gone through it than Mm -hmm. someone I just don't know. Just random question, ugly growth. Where did that come from? What's that about? I like, I was just trying to think of like a name for my blog essentially. And I mean, this really resonated because the healing journey is ultimately one of growth. Like people get into this work in hopes that healing will enable them to move forward and grow into like this whole person. But like, yeah, so I was touched on this earlier because uh, it's something that I also didn't realize before getting into it is that there, yeah, there is a lot of darkness and there's a lot of messy, uncomfortable moments uh, like a lot of people want to be healed, but they don't actually realize um, that, yeah, the discomfort and the work that comes along with that. Um, so that's basically the what's behind ugly growth is wanting to normalize the ugliness of, of the healing journey and like just getting comfortable with that. That makes, that makes complete sense. And when you go back to Canada, are you going back to Winnipeg or are you going to start your practices somewhere else? Well, the program that I'll be doing is in Vancouver. Beautiful place. Yes. Nice. Yeah, beautiful place. My brother lives there right now. I have spent some time there already, but honestly, who knows what life has in store. Yeah. Who, mean, would, have, who would have ever thought 10 years ago yeah. you'd be having this conversation, right? About yeah, exactly. We're talking exactly. about. Wow. Exactly. I mean, Colombia is always going to have like a really big piece of my heart. And I think it's a goal to, you know, like be able to do winters here or something like that. But I do want to be closer to my family. So I think I will stay in Canada for okay. a little while. Yeah. Another beautiful place. Like I said, Canada's yeah. open up your border so I can go visit again, please. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're freaking stuck here in America. How's COVID been down there? You know, it's been interesting. Like right now is not so bad. Like I can pretty much do anything that I want to do here. Uh, You just have to wear a mask everywhere that you go. But we had one of the longest quarantines like in the world. So we were under quarantine for like seven or eight months. Like it was a really long quarantine. I was going a little bit insane, just stuck in my apartment. especially when it's so beautiful outside and you know that you can't go out and enjoy it. Right. It's just like torture. That's tough. Yeah. That's when I would be taking psychedelics, <laughs> go, <laughs> go experience something else besides the wall in your apartment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Andrea, I, I feel like this is a really good time to wrap up. Thank you so much. Like I said, that was a really personal story, your personal journey. Obviously your journey is kind of just beginning and you're going to help so many other people with that, which is awesome it was quite an experience to me. Like I said, I was a student today and I learned a lot. So thank you so much for 
for doing this. And we'll have to, I kind of want to get you back on at some point in the future and see how things are going for you. Um, yeah, we, we can talk more when you're in Canada and you opened up your, your practice and see how things are going. That'd be super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I love and, that. Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you once again to Andrea Cowan-Hohen for telling us such her personal and vulnerable story and, and teaching all of us how psychedelics can be used for healing. I honestly had only really heard of that being used for recreational use. So Andrea, thank you for shedding so much light on this. Please go follow her at uglygrowth.com, Instagram, uglygrowth. And please follow me at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast on Instagram. Subscribe and leave a review. I'll catch you soon.